First thing you do is you delete everything in your life mentally. If you're married, if you have a girlfriend, she's gone. You have no wife, no girlfriend, no kids. You have no dating life. You have no money. You have no business. You have no responsibilities. You have no house, no car, no nothing. You have nothing. You start from zero. Now that you have nothing, you bring up a piece of paper or a blank word document or whatever you want. And you write out what your life would look like if everything was perfect within three to five years. Perfect within reason. Perfect within reality. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friend. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're surviving and hopefully thriving through this coronavirus pandemic as we enter, what is it, month two or three or who the hell knows anymore. I hope, uh, I hope you're finding ways to stay sane and stay healthy and stay productive and all that good stuff. I know, I know a lot of people out there are really having a rough time with this. And uh, yeah, my heart goes out to you and I hope all of you can, can power through this thing. As you heard in the introduction, as you hear in the introduction every, uh, of every episode, with this podcast, I'm committed to presenting unconventional perspectives on culture, relationships, and personal development. And that's exactly what I will be presenting to you, what my guests will be presenting to you in today's episode. My guest today is Caleb Jones. Caleb is an author, a speaker, course creator, YouTuber, consultant, focused on what he calls freedom-focused lifestyle design for men. And although I would say this episode is largely geared toward men and men's development, I still think there's a lot in here for women as well. In today's episode of Humans in Love, Caleb and I talk about open marriages, of which he uh, is perhaps we could call an advocate, though certainly not for everyone as you'll hear, but Caleb is in an open marriage and one of the reasons I want to talk to him is to kind of find out more about what that's like. And also what it's like to be an advocate of open marriages because there's so much misinformation and misconceptions out there about anything related to, you know, anything that challenges traditional monogamy. And Caleb has a lot to say about that. We also talk a lot about discovering mission in life, discovering purpose, living true to our missions and what to do when we get off track with our missions, which I found particularly helpful personally. We get into sexual jealousy which anyone in any kind of open relationship uh, you know, knows a thing or two about, to say the least. I found that really interesting as well. And basically, this is just a really interesting discussion, uh, as far as I'm concerned, for any man out there who wants to take greater ownership of their life, wants to take greater ownership of their direction in life, wants to get really clear about where they want to go and what they want to do, what they want to accomplish, what will make them happy. I find Caleb's work really helpful in this regard. And as I was preparing this uh, introduction, I, I was thinking that, you know, one of the things I could say is, well, I don't agree with everything Caleb says, or I'm not, uh, I don't subscribe to all of his beliefs. But every single time I moved to say that, I'm just reminded that, that I don't agree with everything anyone says, right? I mean, I change my mind on a f fairly frequent basis as well. So I don't even entirely agree with everything I say all the time. And, you know, I, I meant what I said in the introduction about unconventional perspectives. So... If you do have a strong reaction to anything he's saying or talking about, I would advise you to kind of pause and pay attention to that, that reaction, because I think that reaction itself might tell you something about your own degree of what Caleb calls outcome independence or outcome dependence. And personally, I just find it really helpful to try to keep an open mind, especially when I encounter ideas that I might initially disagree with still provides a lot of food for thought, still is thought-provoking in a lot of ways, and helps me, you know, discover who I am, and helps me define my own perspective on life a little better. So without any further ado, I present to you Mr. Caleb Jones. Well, Caleb Jones, I really appreciate you making time for me today. It's a real treat to get to talk to you. I'm excited to dive into, uh, to a lot of different stuff here. I'm generally kind of 
frustrated and put off by a lot of the stuff in the kind of manosphere, men's personal development world. A lot of these guys just, to my mind at least, and you can tell me what you think of this, but to my mind at least, it's just so much posturing and just completely transparent insecurity. And in my mind, a lot of dudes who really don't like women and, and a lot of genuine misogyny, and I don't really perceive that at all in your work. So thanks for that. Um, sure, you're welcome. Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today. But uh, first off, I've, I've been following, you've been doing a video series on the coronavirus and how you've been responding to that, and that's been great. But just generally, like, how are you doing with this coronavirus and how have you been approaching this time? So the entire lifestyle structure that I live by and that I talk about is proof against things like the coronavirus. So I have had, other than the fact, like we just talked about a second ago before the camera rolled, I, other than the fact that I haven't been traveling very much last few months, which is weird for me, I have had literally no difference in my lifestyle, my day-to-day -day life, uh, in my personal life, my romantic life, my financial life, my business life, my investments. There's been pretty much no difference because I've spent the last 13 years or so developing systems to take care of me when problems like this occur. Matter of fact, I've been kind of waiting for the next kind of economic recession. But even in terms of things like a pandemic or any of this stuff, because I, for example, um, I was just talking to a friend of mine today, before all this started, I actually had, as soon as this started, not only did I have two months of toilet paper already, I had masks. I already had all that stuff. So my wife was like, I need a mask for da da da. She had to go to a meeting and they required her to wear a mask. I'm like, yeah, man, like, we got to go to Amazon. Said, Here you go. So I'm already prepared for all this stuff. So the, the work that I put in the last 13 years of my life have prepared me to, be, to have smooth sailing during times like this because I was affected negatively by the last recession, 2008. 2008, 2009, really. And I remember going through that and saying, okay, I'm not doing this again. So I'm going to take the next few years and prepare, not only financially, but in terms of my lifestyle as well. So when the next problem occurs, and they occur every 10 years, I'm surprised it's been this long, I won't have a problem with it. So I've actually been pretty okay, more or less. I, mean, I could go into detail about, I have three companies and, and the income streams have changed a little bit, but in on the overall, I've been fine. Yeah. Kind of not, you know. So you mentioned your, your transformation. I mean, I know this story well. I think most people familiar with your work know this story well. But could you just talk a little bit about that in the context of what you're working on these days and what you call Alpha Male 2.0 and all the rest? Sure. So um, Alpha Male 2.0 encompasses your relationship life and your business slash financial life. So I'll talk about, you were asked about the transformation. So in, um, for the first 15 years of my life, I, I dated women the way that the women wanted me to behave. And I was a kind of a good little boy and I followed all the traditional models and it didn't really get me anywhere and didn't make me happy. It didn't make me miserable. It didn't make me upset. It didn't make me hate women like a lot of guys. And you're right. I don't disagree with what you said about the manosphere. A lot of guys do or are upset with women. Um, I never got to the point where I hated women. I blamed myself more than I blamed women. But um, when I got divorced in 2007, Right. I sat down and I said, okay, that didn't work. These models clearly don't make me happy. I need to develop some new models or adopt some new models that will make me happy. So one model that I knew would make me happy was monogamy. So I said, okay, I need to sit down and figure out how to have long-term, low-drama, high-quality relationships with women. All those things. Long-term, not break up in six months or a year, but long-term, many years. Low-drama, so you're not fighting and screaming. High-quality, so you enjoy time together. Relationships with women but more than one at a time without having to lie and without having to cheat. And I had to figure out how to do this. And I didn't know anyone else doing this. There were other people doing it, but they weren't very prolific on the internet. So I had to do a bunch of research and figure out how to make that work. So that was the woman's side. And, and so I was the traditional, what most people call beta males. I was, a, I was reasonably successful financially, but I was, I was the typical beta male type guy. And I realized that model wouldn't work for me anymore. So I did that, worked on that for a few years. And then Concurrently with that, I said, okay, I also need to, I went through the recession in 2008. I said, okay, I need a model set where I am not relying on any one source of income, where I have multiple streams of income, multiple diversified income streams from different industries, so that if something happens to one of my income streams, I'm upset, but I'm okay. And so that way I have had and now have multiple women in my life and then multiple income streams in my life. So I had a system of redundancy throughout my entire life. So that way, if something happens to any one of those systems, I'm okay. I don't know if that makes sense. So a lot of what I talk about is redundancy. Sure. Instead of I, building the models on one of these and one of these. I wanted to ask you about, I love your, uh, your analogy about, or the metaphor about the, the bicycle theory, the two wheels of a man's yeah. life. Could you mention that briefly? Because I think that's great. Excuse me. Yeah. So 
we're talking about men now, women are different, but what the way you are as a man, the way you're biologically wired is that you have, what I talk about is the motorcycle and the two wheels on your motorcycle is money and sex. And as soon as you say that people go, oh, oh, but you're so shallow I and mean, there's more things to life than money and sex. Well, of course there is. I have children, I have a family life, I have a spiritual life. I try to lose weight, I try to take care of my fitness, I do all that stuff, I try to do everything. But um, as a man, if you don't have regular, a regular amount of money coming into your life and a regular amount of sex coming into your life on a regular basis, and every guy needs a different amount, then those other things that are more important than money and sex, like family, giving back to society, your children, physical fitness, self-actualization, your spiritual life, all these things that, that are really important, I consider those the engine of the motorcycle. So if you don't have money or sex, if you don't have those two wheels, you have an engine that just sits there because your engine of the motorcycle doesn't really do much if you don't have two tires on it. So if you have, here's the example I give. So you can do both. Let's say you are, you have a great life. You've got a great family life. You've got a lot of friends. You're physically ripped. You've got tons of money. You make a six figure income. You've got tons of money and savings. You haven't had sex in two years. Are you happy truly in your life if you're a man? The answer, unless you're an unusual exception, is probably not. You need to get laid at least a little bit. And so you could reverse that. So let's say you're getting laid left and right. Either you're a pickup guy and you're dating a bunch of women, or you've got, you're monogamous, you've got a serious girlfriend or wife you love very much, and you're having tons of sex, and it's great, and everything else. You've got a great family life, you're physically fit, great spiritual life. Let's say you haven't made any money for two years, and you have no money in savings. Are you happy? No, you're not happy. So the only way to get to the point, at least in my opinion, and I haven't seen a lot of evidence against this, and I could be wrong, but someone would have to prove this to me. The only way that you could enjoy all these other aspects of your life family life, kids, whatever, is to make sure you have a baseline, a baseline of regular income coming in every month, no matter what happens, including pandemics, including recessions, and a regular amount of sex coming into your life under whatever models you want. If you're a younger guy, maybe you want casual sex. If you're an older, older guy, maybe you want to be married or settled down like I am. Depends on your personality and your age. As long as you have those two things in place, now everything else can make you happy. It kind of opens the door to all the other stuff in your life as a man that you can be happy with. Yeah, it's great. And I, I called it bicycle. The motorcycle is way cooler. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's bicycle works too, kind of. Bicycle works yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, God, there's so many avenues that we could go down. One of your ideas that I really wanted to, to talk about and that you talk about constantly and that I want to understand better, largely for selfish reasons, is your idea about outcome independence. Yes. This is an idea you're really trying to hammer home all the time. Yes. And... Um, like, for example, some people who find out that you're in an open marriage, they have these, these real visceral reactions to that, as I'm sure you encounter sometimes, especially like people on the internet, for example. Yeah. And this, I, I understand where these people are coming from, people who have that visceral reaction, but my immediate reaction is, well, great, that works for Caleb. Cool. Doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Like, and you mentioned earlier that you adopted new models, right? Models are different for different people. Your lifestyle is fantastic for you and for a certain subset of men. It's probably yeah. not for every man, as you as you readily admit. It's your definitely not for every man. Yeah, it's definitely not for every man. Yeah, yeah, most men. Yeah, but uh, and and I as I mentioned in the introduction, I mean, it seems to me that ninety nine point nine percent of people of men in the men's development space don't have this outcome uh, independence, and they they're literally so stiff and literally posturing in their videos, and it's just it's so. It's pretty cheesy, at least, at least. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be too hard on these guys, but for me, I, it I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what you're saying on the overall. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. but but basically, sure. I, I I really want to know more about how you develop this real, true sense of outcome independence. Um, like, where did this come from, and and what helps you stay outcome independent? Because it, it can be tough for all of us sometimes. Yeah, um, I can't pinpoint. <clears throat> excuse me, exactly where this started or where it came from. That's a really good question. I've been asked that before and I wish I had a story. Well, one day this happened and I realized that da, 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 I don't have a story like that. Over time, I realized that um, I've done a lot of things wrong in my past and I have flaws just like everybody else. But one thing I'm pretty good at is self-awareness. I'm pretty good at that. And so I'm pretty good at when I'm doing something wrong or when I'm the problem, and sometimes I am, I, I have enough self-awareness to say, okay, Caleb, the problem's you, buddy. This is on you. And so I realized that it would be impossible to be truly long-term consistently happy, which is the objective that I have and the objective of Alpha Male 2.0 is long-term 
consistent as much as humanly possible masculine happiness. And I realized that would be impossible if I was constantly worried about what other people did or what other people thought of me. And I know people, and you probably know people, who are really concerned about these things, including very good people, including very nice people, including very intelligent people, who are really concerned about what my th friends think or what my mom wants for me or what my dad wants for me or expanded out what society wants for me, what my religion wants for me, what my political affiliation, my political tribe wants for me. If you are really concerned about this stuff, it is not possible, and I mean this literally, to be long-term consistently happy. The only thing you can hope for are moments of happiness in your life. You won't have consistently happy. You won't have consistent happiness because it's impossible. You'll spend too much time worrying about and concerning yourself with what other people say and either A, getting upset about what they say or do, or B, trying to conform to what they say or do, both of which are really bad. And so if you want to take alpha male, beta male examples, the beta male would try to conform to do what, he, do what his dad wants or what his mom wants, even though he's in his 30s or 40s, or what his wife wants. The alpha male would, the traditional alpha male 1.0 would get mad. Don't say that about me. Don't you take that post off Facebook when you talk about me like that. I'm all right. And so you're either going to get angry or you're going to live a life that you don't want if you, if you follow outcome dependence. And so the only way, the only way, the only way that I know of to ensure that you have long-term consistent happiness is to not give a shit about what people say or people do, as long as they don't do something harmful to you or harmful to somebody you love. They can say whatever they want. They can think whatever they want. And you have to be confident enough and be abundant enough in your lifestyle to not care about those things. Um, I mean, I didn't answer the second part of your question about what I do now. Do we go into that or... Am I going too fast? If I go too fast, by no, no, that's yeah. quite all right. And and you're in your late 40s, is that right? Yeah, I'm 48. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you is kind of related to the second part of my the question I just asked is what still gets you at this stage of the game? Like, are there any moments or people or expectations or situations you encounter where you you struggle with outcome independence still uh, after all these years? No. <laughs> um, okay. No, I don't. Um, the only frustrations I have these days are frustrations internally of things that are directly my fault. Like, why is this happening fast enough? But it's always, I can always trace it back to me. So uh, no, there's nothing that, there are things that are amusing. If I look at politics, they're, they're depressing and sad. I don't get depressed the same way. I, I get, I laugh and I get amused because these, these things really don't affect me anymore. Um, no, if, if we're talking about external factors, there isn't anything I can think of where I would get outcome dependent and struggle with that, at least not now. When I was in my 20s, um, I had a huge problem with this. And I've noticed this is a big problem with young men and a lot of young women. People in their 20s get really worked up about this. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm at the point now where I can tell if I'm reading a blog or YouTube comments or a forum post, and I see a guy make a post and he's furious about a little thing, I can tell the way he writes that he's in his 20s. Because I used to have that same temper. These, someone would say something, oh, God, and it'd freak out. You just, you know, you explode. I used to do this over email. We used to have corporate email back then. We didn't have internet per se back in the 90s, but we had internet email. I would do the same, intranet email. I would do the same exact thing. Uh, so I had a problem like this in my 20s. But that's when I realized in my early 30s, you know what? If I keep doing this, I'm never going to be happy. I'm going to just keep yelling at everybody and keep being pissed off because people are never going to do what I want. Society's never going to do what you want. Even people around you are never going to be consistently perfect in terms of what you think they should do. So if that's your concern, you'll never be happy. So instead, you have to move that, that locus from them to you. And then you're happy a lot more often. And the few times you're not happy, it's directly your fault, which means you can fix it and change it if you want. Relating to that, I just listened to your podcast, which is very good, on um, happiness versus meaning and Jordan yeah. Peterson. Um, yeah. So I think I, I mentioned, I'll, I'll just share a little bit about my story. I think I mentioned in my email to you, but, you know, I've, I got to a place in my life in my late 20s where I'd accomplished several big goals to me. Um, you know, my, my woman life was fantastic and I got to a certain income level that I was very happy with. And I was beset with this gnawing sense of, well, what, what now? Uh, a yeah. bit of a sense of, I wouldn't call it emptiness because my life was very full in a lot of ways, but just okay, well, what's next? What's the next challenge? How can I keep going? I've got this, it might sound arrogant, but I've built this dream life for myself. Why am I not happier? 
And so like many men, you know, the work of someone like Jordan Peterson scratched a certain itch that I had. Um, I mean, the, the thing that I find so fascinating about him is not the man himself, but why, like the, the movement he's inspired and just the, the way he touches men in particular, I think it speaks to something very profound in our society. Agree. But, but what do you, I know, I know you talk about this in the podcast, but I'd still like to understand it better. This distinction between happiness and meaning that you don't necessarily draw, you kind of see them as very, very linked. What would you say to someone who's saying to you, you're so focused, you know, dead focused on happiness. What about meaning? What about taking responsibility? What about bearing a heavier load? How does that fit into the alpha male 2.0 lifestyle? And really quick, I had the exact same experience as you in my late 20s, early 30s, literally the same experience. I hit all my goals by the time I was 28, 29. And for several years, I just kind of floundered around because I didn't know what else to do because I didn't have purpose. So the exact same experience. It's interesting. Um, the answer is you can't be, and now when I say happy, I have a very specific definition for happiness, not just being happy today. If you want to be happy today, go eat a donut. I'm talking about long-term consistent happiness as a man. And if you want long-term consistent happiness, you have to have meaning. Long-term long -term happiness is not possible without meaning because at best you'll encounter what you encountered. You'll work really hard and achieve a goal and go, oh, now, now what do I do? Oh, no. And the reason men have that problem, and some women too, women run into this problem when they have kids and they take the next 20 years and just completely, their whole lives revolve around their children and then the kids move out. And these women freak out. They go out and go to therapy. They cry for two years. I've seen it happen over and over again with women I know. It's really sad because you weren't, you weren't thinking in terms of meaning and purpose beyond your kids, long-term meaning and purpose. So you have to have meaning. I call it a mission. But you have to have meaning and purpose beyond basic goal setting because goals are really not goals. This is something I've had to learn the past few years myself. Goals are not goals. Goals are milestones. So you don't set a goal and then achieve a goal and then kill yourself because you're all done. You, you gotta, you're you're going to live another 50 years. So you need something else after that and after that and after that. And it's something ideally that has meaning instead of I want a cooler car. Now I want a Ferrari. I have a Mercedes. Now I want a Ferrari. And um, I won't mention names, but there are a lot of big name guys or, or reasonably big name guys on the internet who encountered this in their financial lives. And then they, some who encountered this in their woman lives. So there are guys in the manosphere, I won't mention names, but guys who spent their entire twenties getting laid and dating chicks and being pickup artists and had a great time. And then they got into their mid thirties, 35 usually when this hits and they go, Oh my God, now what do I do? I'm 35. I don't want to go to clubs anymore. What, what do I do? I don't want to get married. Maybe I should get married. I don't want to grow. Well, maybe I should get a girlfriend. Well, maybe I should date younger women. Well, and they freak out and they have these, you know, these midlife crises because they don't know what they're doing. And you've got guys who, and I was in this category to a smaller degree. You've got guys who I won't mention names because you know, these are guys I like who made a lot of money in there. By the time they were like, you know, mid to late twenties, they were making six figures a month and just making millions of dollars a year. And then they hit their early 30s. They go, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm making too much money. I'm going to go live like a monk now. I'm going to sell all my stuff and just and have nothing and, and be a minimalist because money is bad. I made too much money. In both cases, you had people focused on goals, which is great, and people putting in work, which is great, but they didn't have meaning. And so they experienced happiness and then unhappiness, and then happiness and then unhappiness. So you want a consistent level of happiness. You've got to sit down and figure out, and it's hard, what is your long-term meaning? What is something that will have meaning for you the next 25 years plus, regardless of what you accomplish or don't accomplish in these logistical areas of your life, like your woman life or your financial life or your business life, or your investments or what have you. So yeah. I was reading in your book, The Unchained Man, um, about how one of the ways that you arrived at your own mission where you, I think you went to a park on a sunny day with a laptop and just started typing. Yeah. Do you still recommend that approach for people looking to find greater meaning in their life? Um, or are there yes. any other tips you can suggest in terms of finding your mission, finding your purpose? So finding your mission is very hard. And what I've started to tell guys, men, because my audience is men, what I've started to tell men is if you're under the age of 30 and you really wrestle with it, just give it a break until you're 30 because it really is hard. And maybe it's not as relevant as long as you have a vision and meaning. So the way this works, here's the standard advice. The standard advice is you don't sit down and say, what's my meaning? That's too hard. That's really hard. What's my purpose in life? That's really difficult. So instead, you start with the basics. You start with the goals. How much money do you want to make? What, is your life want to, what do you want your life to look like? Not just how much money do you want to make, but how do you want to make it? What does your, your income look like? Um, if, it's, if it's a business, what does your business look like? 
what does your woman life look like? Not, I need to go get laid or I want a girlfriend or I want to get married. That's not enough. What does your woman life look like? If on a scale from one to 10 to you would be a 10, does that mean you have a girlfriend? Does that mean you're just dating casually for a few years? Does that mean you date casually for a few years and then you click over to age 35 or 40 and then you settle down? How do you settle down? Is it a traditional monogamous marriage? Is it something like I've got? What exactly would that look like on a scale of one to 10 to you where it's a 10? And you sit down, yes. You just can't, you take a day where you're feeling good and you go somewhere quiet and you get your laptop out or a tablet or whatever you want and you write out. First thing you do is you delete everything in your life mentally. This is something I learned from one of my mentors, Brian Tracy. It's called zero-based thinking where you delete everything in your life. So I have, if you're married, if you have a girlfriend, she's gone. You have no wife, no girlfriend, no kids. You have no dating life. You have no money. You have no business. You have no responsibilities. You have no house, no car, no nothing. You have nothing. You start from zero. Now that you have nothing, you bring up a piece of paper or a blank word document or whatever you want. And you write out what your life would look like if everything was perfect within three to five years. Perfect within reason. Perfect within reality. What would that look like in every aspect of your life? And you write that out. When I did it, it was about two pages. And I wrote out every aspect of your life, your physical fitness, all that stuff, long, both now and long-term. Then when you have that, you can start to reread that. And over time, your purpose, you'll get more clarity on your purpose and your meaning from reading that. With that, that document, by the way, is called a vision. Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about this, the vision of your perfect life. That's not a mission. Mission is your meaning, why you work, why you get up every morning. So your vision is my life is perfect if X, Y, and Z. And then from there, you can derive your purpose. And once you have that kind of raw material, you can then pull your purpose out. In The Unchained Man, I've got a whole chapter on how you can kind of match your talents and your, your abilities and your interests and formulate a mission that way. But a really good way to do this is to start with your vision. What do you want if everything in your life was more or less perfect? And then draw from there. That's the, that's the least hard way to do it. And how do you approach that vision exercise? Are you writing out like in the perfect day I wake up at this time and my wife kisses me on the cheek? And so then I, go I have... Yeah. Yeah, I have two versions of that. So origin, first, you want to set up the mission. You want to write out what your perfect life looks like. Then for your regular motivation, you can either reread that, which I have done, or you can do that where you write out, and I do this too. I have a separate Word document now. My vision is most of what I wrote down. This was, let's see, I was in my early 30s. So I'm 48. So it was about 15 years ago. Just about everything in there is accomplished, if not more, if not better than what I wrote down. My life is actually better than what I wrote down. Um, but so what I do now is I have a document where, and I learned this from, I don't remember where I learned this from, but I've, but I've tweaked it to get it more into my subconscious. I have a document, a word document, where it is my typical perfect day once, my, once everything is perfect to me in several years. And so, yes, I wake up in the morning, I look out the window and I see this, and it's a picture of whatever city or country I want to live in for my, one of my homes. And then I turn over and I see her laying next to me. And I had a picture of a woman there for many years, my wife today looks just like the picture of the woman I was looking at for many years. That's how this shit works. It's amazing because this drives the stuff into your subconscious. So then I say, we have sex and it's wonderful. And then I get up and I go work out. And then when I go in the bathroom, I look at myself in the mirror and it looks like this. And then I go into my office and my office looks like this. And I have this view of what my office wants, I, I, the desk and the computer and the, the view of how I want my office to look in this city. And then I run a profit and loss report for one of my businesses. And it looks like this. I have a fake profit and loss report showing the exact numbers I want. And then I check my investments and they look like this. And I have all my investments. And then I work for a few hours and then my wife and I go out and we go out to dinner at this restaurant and we go on a boat and I have the picture of the boat. So it goes through the whole, and then I fly first class to my second home. Da, 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 da. And so I have pictures and visuals. And as I read this and look at it, I have music playing in the background that is a certain type of music that I like that is that gets into my subconscious. It's kind of a quiet, kind of a quiet but interesting music without any lyrics. And so I want all this stuff to be driven deep into my subconscious. And I don't do this as often today. I do this probably once or twice a week now. I used to do it every day or almost every day. What I do now is I do affirmations and a bunch of other stuff every morning. So my procedure tends to change. But yes, once you have your vision, you can translate that into images, which is really important because you just read something. That's one thing. It's better to see images on it. And even if you read something, you have to visualize it in your head. I was doing this since my 20s. I, would, I live in a house on the beach with da, 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 and I would visualize these, these scenes and drive these into my subconscious. And then you got to get to work. So one real quick thing on this is I don't want to overstate how you can just visualize your goals and they happen. That's the problem with people who are really, really into the secret. 
you have to work. I work very hard, very, 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 very hard because I like to work. So once you do this, then you get your ass to work and you work hard on all these areas, not just your business life. So you bold. Yeah. And, and just personally, I mean, I've in the past, I, I'm a skeptical person by nature and I've encountered these exercises and think and grow rich and all this stuff. And I've been yeah. inclined to dismiss it as hippy dippy bullshit kind of thing. But I'll say in my own humble way, and my financial goals are not on the level as yours uh, are right now, but in my own way, every time I've, I've done this exercise and I've set an exact financial goal, I've hit it with startling accuracy. No more, no less. I've hit that on the head. And that has turned me into less of a skeptic when it comes to this kind of exercise. It's very strange. That means you're taking action too. Yeah, that means you're absolutely. setting the goal and you're taking action because there are, there's a whole group of guys in the world where they'll do this stuff. They'll visualize and set goals and then they'll kind of screw around and watch Netflix and go on YouTube and watch YouTube videos and they won't get to work. So you need both. So that means you did both. I usually miss, I always end up hitting my goals, but I'm usually late on them. Sometimes I'm not you on my financial goals. Anyway, I'm usually late on my, I hit them late, might be a year and a half late or six months late, but I usually hit them. So I have the same experience, but again, your proof that it works if you put in the work. I'm sure you're working. I'm sure you're working hard and you're doing this on a regular basis. You're not just visual, right? You're not just visualizing this stuff and then Absolutely. kind of go to sleep or, yeah, yeah, good. There's yeah, it does tweet. work as long as you combine it with action. Absolutely. Do you know who Alain de Botton is? The guy from the School of Life videos? Dang, I've heard that name. Yeah, you've probably seen is. him around the internet. School of yeah. Life is, is really great. But he, he put out this tweet years ago that I think about probably every day. Something about, you know, however pleasant vacations may be, the only real cure for our anxiety is work. And I found that to be true in my life. If I'm feeling depressed or kind of off or, you know, I, I lack, you know, energy, I just get my ass to work and immediately I feel better. Immediately. We are creatures of work, particularly men. Women to a degree also, but the nature of the work is different. Men are creatures of work. You have to work in some capacity or to be happy. That's why the concept of retirement is so silly. Yeah. That was an, that was an 1800s concept developed in Germany because they wanted to, they wanted the old people to have some money. So they wanted to get the old people out of the market and get the young people. I mean, anyway, so <clears throat> correct. Working is key to happiness. Now you don't want to work at, you know, the pizza hut long-term, but you want to work. Yes. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. They've done studies where even if you are, if you're depressed, if you go out and dig a ditch, if you just do something stupid, but it's work, your depression drops. I've given an example about, I don't have time to get it now, but a woman was depressed. It's a true story. She's depressed, and she went to the went to the psychotherapist. She had seen these therapists because her husband had died, and nothing worked. And she's like, "Oh, my husband, I'm so alone." And he's like, "Yeah, thanks." And he takes this box of toothpicks and he dumps them out of the table. Said, "Put the toothpicks back in the box." She's like, "What? You just put the toothpicks back in the box?" So, okay, so she puts them back in the box, and he goes, oh, "I'm sorry, you did this wrong. You need all the toothpicks facing this way. Oh no, they're matchsticks. Sorry." You know, the matchsticks would be facing the same. And he dumps them back up. Please put them back in the box. And she kept, he kept doing this over and over again. And finally, she said, why am I doing this? And he said, how, are you, how depressed are you right now on a scale of 1 to 10? She's like, oh, I, I don't feel too depressed. Because she was working. That's how I work. It's how you're wired. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you tell that before. That's a great example. Yeah. yeah. One more quick question on mission that I was wondering about. You, you talk about going through this process in your 30s where you get really clear in your ideal life. And, you know, your life for the past, I think you said, 12 or 13 years has been pretty much exactly as you want it with, I'm sure struggles along the way, but you know, you're living your the life you want with the mission you believe in. Yeah. Do you have moments where you feel like you're wavering a bit or you're drifting or you lack that motivation or you need to kind of tweak your mission over time? Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. I don't, I don't know about all the time, but yeah, regularly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, moments where you, where, um, where I think I'm drifting. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Oh sure. So, what I do on those moments, and, and I think it's normal to have those. Um, you would be weird if you didn't have those, I think. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm a pretty motivated guy, but oh, all the time. Um, there are days where, it's usually not days, it's weeks. It's a week. So I'm like, you know, last week I've been, I have been on it. What the hell's going on? So what, the first thing I will do is I will address the physical aspect because the body is the vehicle that drives all this. So I'll ask myself, am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Um, how's my diet been the last seven days? I'll look at those things first. And often I can find something off on those things. Oh, okay. I had pizza twice and or whatever. Um, if I don't find those things, if everything's fine, because I, I kind of keep, keep an eye on those things, especially, um, 
water and sleep and exercise and stress, things like that. If, if those are okay, then I go back to that vision and I go back to that mission and I reread it and I get excited about the things that I get excited about, but I give myself permission to change the pieces that I need to change if needed. So if I go back to my vision, what my ideal life looks like, and I have broken out about 25 different things, I will give myself permission to remove things or change things in those lists. Yes. Sometimes I don't need to. Sometimes I just go, yep, this is it. This is perfect. I'm going to get back on this and I'm going to get back to work with, to what you just said. I'm going to get back to work and I'll feel better when I get back to work. That's right. usually what I do. And that's usually enough. But yes, you need to give yourself permission to be flexible. Who is it? Tony Robbins? Be flexible. Be inflexible about the goal, but flexible about the approach. Something like that. Yeah, you need to be flexible about getting there. Sure. You don't want to change. So that's your, your vision and your objectives and the pieces of your vision. Your mission, your meaning. You don't want to radically change too much because that would be an indication that you were wrong all along or that you were, or that, or that's unless something drastically changed in your life, like you have children, they all die or something that's different. But if you just wake up one day and say, no, I don't want this now. This meaning is useless. I want this meaning instead. Then I would argue that you weren't hundred percent there to begin with. You can tweak that, that, that mission. You can tweak it a little bit. I have tweaked mine, but it's more or less the same thing. It's been 15, 20 years. Let's talk because about that's open, the end. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Absolutely. Sure. Let, let's talk about open marriages. I think you have a new book and course coming out at the end of May. Is that right? On open yeah, marriages? May 28th. Yeah. Great. So even just hearing that phrase, I imagine some people listening, as I mentioned before, are going to think, what the hell is this? This is weird. What the hell? That's yeah, yeah. And, and on that note, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the most common misconceptions about open marriages that you encounter? What are some of the ideas out there that you think are just flat wrong? Uh, the biggest one is that, um, how do I state it? I guess there's two variations of this. So there's two variations. One variation is you, you open, as soon as they hear the word open relationship or open marriage, they immediately go to the absolute worst case scenario, which in my experience, virtually never, if not never happens where one or both people are out having unprotected sex with 12 different people randomly and there's STDs and you're getting people pregnant and it's mass chaos and you're fighting and screaming and it's horrible. That's, that's one misconception. The other misconception is that among men, because I don't get a lot of negative feedback about this from women. Interestingly, it's usually from men. Um, from men, they say, oh my God, my wife will be out what I just said, banging dudes left and right. And, oh, I couldn't handle it. If my wife had sex with, I'd have to go kill him. And I just, I would get, I would, my head would explode. So those are the misconceptions. Um, I mean, I could address those misconceptions if you want, but those are, the, those are the two big ones. People take the worst case, their greatest, most horrific fears that again, virtually never happen. I know a lot of people, a lot of people with non-monogamous relationships and open marriages and non-monogamous marriages. And those scenarios, um, I can't even think of one that are anywhere near that bad. Sometimes you have some, a little bit of that in, in relationships that are drastically mismanaged. That happens. But that's the big misconception. People take their worst fears and go, oh my God, this will happen. And, and no, this doesn't happen. Another thing that I found really intriguing about some of the stuff that you put out in this topic is your contention that this is more widespread than people realize that Correct. there's more of this happening. Could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, is this a more common phenomenon than many people realize? This is hugely common. And I have run into people I have known, couples I have known. And then years later, I find out they were like this. People in my own family, including siblings of mine, who I, I think I know my siblings pretty well. <laughs> Once I started talking about this, I'm trying to not I'll say he slash she said, oh, yeah, me and my spouse, da 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 You're like, what? And then another sibling's like, oh, yeah, me and da 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 So once I said it first and gave people permission, tacit permission, to talk about this stuff, yes. People I've worked with, clients in my, in my corporate companies, just yes. People are terrified to talk about this stuff because the reasons you just stated. So the vast, vast majority, if not 99%, but people who have relationships or marriages like this don't talk about it. They are terrified about what people say, particularly their mothers. And that's, that's the big, I've talked to guys in the manosphere and outside the manosphere who are either public figures or semi-public figures who have marriages like this, but keep it very quiet. And they, that's the first thing they bring up. Oh, I don't want my mom to find out. <laughs> 
So they are terrified, or I don't want them to embarrass my wife or some of that. Um, that's why they don't do this. And, and it's kind of sad. I am one of the only person, me and the Sex at Dawn guy are pretty that's much Ryan. the only yeah, the only two people on the planet Earth who are open and verbal about and public about the fact that we don't have 100% monogamous marriage to our spouses. There should be a lot more than just me and him. And, and there will be over time. This is a big trend. One thing that was came up at one of my websites today was my old version of the open marriage manual, which is an outdated version. That's why I'm making a new one. Um, had, even though it's my oldest, oldest book, and my most out of date book. It has been one of my best selling books in the last two years, selling more than my, my dating stuff, my online dating stuff. So this is a huge trend that is not only happening, but is now growing. That's and really you'll see interesting. More people it's it's outselling yeah. material on online dating. Yes, at least wow. with my company, yes. It sells more than online dating, which if you had told me that five years ago, I would have went, what? No, you're, no, that's no, no. Because online dating is a big money maker for me. It's, I made a lot of money. It's like online dating advice, but no, that's actually in just the last two years, really interesting. And I, one day I ran a report and went, what? That can't be right. And the old book has, you know, worse typesetting and worse presentation because I haven't updated it. It's, it's from like 2012. It's from a while ago, but anyway, so yes. So that's the main thing is that it's very widespread. There are millions and millions and millions of people doing this in the Western world who most, many of whom you probably already know, but didn't know that because they're not going to tell you. And, what's and the, I wish they would. I wish they would. It is my hope that me being public about this encourages other people to be, you know, to give details like I do, but at least say, yeah, we do some stuff like that occasionally too. And in terms of being worried about what people say or think, what's that quote? Like, if you knew how little people thought about you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't care about it. <laughs> it's so right. true. Because right. like, what, what kind right. of reactions have you encountered? I mean, maybe mom aside, um, how do people respond when they find out that you're in an open marriage? So the vast majority of people in my life who know about this stuff, clients and friends don't, what you just said, they don't care. Yeah. They either go, oh, that's great. Or they might ask a few questions. Oh, how, how does that work if X, Y, Z? Um, the people who might give you a little feedback are your parents, especially if they're traditional. I have two very traditional parents. So I got some feedback about that. It was one conversation I had with my mom uh, about 10 years ago and it was fine, never had it again. Uh, my dad really didn't mind. Um, you're right. People don't care. I have had no negative pushback from anyone I personally know. Um, my wife has had, uh, no negative pushback other than one person in her family a little bit a few years ago. And that was it. You're right. People don't care. People don't give a shit. And what's more, I think, you know, another thing that helps me coming back to outcome independence is, the people who I really respect and the people whose opinions I would actually value and consider, they're too busy being successful and living really busy lives right. to give too much, you know, to really spend much time thinking about what Zach's up to anyway. So if you're Correct. concerned about what certain people think, you might think, well, they must have a lot of free time and energy to be upset about what I'm doing <laughs> in my life. What would, no connection. What would you, yeah. What would you think about that person? You know, someone or an acquaintance or a friend and they freak the hell out when you tell them. Well, what would you think about that person? What? what? Yeah. Another reason too, by the way, I just talked with someone else about this, um, that you don't get a lot of negative feedback is because again, so many people are already doing this. Hmm. So they're like, oh, I've, I've seen that happen. That's happened at least once where I'll tell someone, I'll get, they'll give me this look like this. Oh, like, well, is there, is there something you want to tell me? Is something going on here I don't know about? <laughs> well, actually me and my wife, da, 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 da. so, you know, that's another reason why people tell don't give me negative stuff. They're doing it too. Not, maybe not doing it as consistently as I am or have systems like I do, but they're doing it too. Right. Before we go further, I need to ask you about something. So I think maybe, maybe you recall in, in the email I sent you, one of my main interests and focuses is jealousy. And yeah. obviously when anything about open relationships or open marriages comes up, I'm sure you're used to this question. So I'll just ask, I mean, straight up, have you ever experienced jealousy, whether you were in a monogamous relationship or in your open marriage? Um, how have you dealt with jealousy, either being on the receiving end, maybe your partner's jealous, or whether you're feeling jealous yourself? I mean, has that ever been an issue for you? So it has not been an issue for me in my marriage, but I was doing this for a decade before I ever met my wife, so I have a lot of experience doing this. When I was new at this stuff, because I've been non-monogamous for 13 years now, um, consistently. And so when I was new at this, the first year or two, I had bouts of jealousy, like moments. I didn't sit around and be jealous. Some guys are like that. I never had that problem. But I would have moments of jealousy, sure. 
but I would repeat to myself, this has to work because monogamy will never make me happy, at least long-term monogamy. This monogamy will not make me happy no matter what. I know that for a fact. My only two other options are never have sex ever again and never date a woman ever again, never a relationship or non-monogamy of some kind. I'm not going to do this because that wouldn't make me happy long-term either. For a while, I'll be fine, but not long-term. Again, I want long-term happiness. So my only option for long-term happiness is to make non-monogamy work. And so I would sit down and do, I talk about some of these things in my book. There's exercises I did. Also practice. You just, you practice and you start caring less and less. And within six months of the last time I felt jealous a lot, this was probably 2009, 2010. Within six months, I had never felt jealous ever again. So I have never, I have not felt the emotion of jealousy since 2010-ish, so 10, 11 years, since I've even felt that emotion. I just don't care. The only, um, if you want to get into jealousy, there's two kinds of jealousy. There is sexual jealousy and there is romantic jealousy. Sexual jealousy is you're having sex with someone, the context is irrelevant, even if it's casual sex, that person has sex with someone else or flirts with someone else and you feel jealous. That's purely outdated biology. You shouldn't care what a woman does with her free time if you're just having sex with her. It shouldn't matter. So that, that, I've never felt that. Now, romantic jealousy would be if you are in a serious relationship. I call them OLTRs. So that you're a serious girlfriend or your wife. And if she just has sex, meaning sex with a guy, you shouldn't care because that's sexual jealousy. Now, if she starts falling in love with another guy and comes home and she says, you know, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with this guy or I have feelings for this guy. And then you feel romantically jealous. That's valid. So that's perfectly valid to feel. I would feel that way. I've never had that experience because it never happened to me. But if, if that were to happen, if my wife were to come to me right now and say, I'm falling for another guy, I would feel romantically jealous. That's valid. But sexual jealousy, there's no point. Um, I mean, I could go into a lot about how to avoid jealousy or the answers to people who say, I would never do this because I'd be jealous. I mean, I don't know where you want me to go. But well, no, I mean, I'd like to stay on this for a moment. I mean, the way you kind of, shrug off male sexual jealousy is is kind of impressive because you know i have an email inbox filled with literally thousands of emails from guys who would really you know their heads would would turn hearing you say that they think how the hell do you just shrug that off so do you have any more tips or insights i mean is it sure. as simple is it as simple for you caleb as simply intellectualizing it and just making sense of it that way because i can tell you, you for know, a fact a lot of guys really struggle with that Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I get the same emails. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. It's really tough for men. Men are very territorial. We're wired to be territorial. We are wired to feel like when a woman, when we are attracted to a woman, certainly when we have sex with a woman, that she has our property. We've got to build a fence around her. And yeah. Um, here's the, here's the overview of the attitude you need to have. And then I can get in techniques if you want. So the overview is, um, in terms of non-monogamous marriage, so an open marriage versus an open relationship, you're going to be, if you get married, the objective of your marriage, I hope, is to be married for many, many years, a very long time, decades, if not the rest of your life. Now, the divorce rate is very high, so we don't know what will happen. But the objective is to be married long term, which means that for most of the marriage, assuming your marriage lasts a long time, your wife is not going to be young. She's going to get older. Even if you marry someone who's 19, if you wait 20 years, she'll be in her 40s. So you have to remember that. When women, as women get older, um, I don't, do you, are you familiar with the term ASD? You probably are. Anti-slut defense? Yes. So that increases with women over time. And the benefit to that when you're in a non-monogamous marriage or relationship with a woman is that she doesn't want, as she gets older, she doesn't want to sleep with other men. It might be Even worth just defining that term briefly, Caleb, for a lot of people. Sure. So know a lot ASD, of sure. ASD is not my term. It comes from the pickup artist world. And that means anti-slut defense. It is the, I would not do that. I'm a lady. So if you're on a second date with a woman and you try to have sex with her, even if she wants to have sex with you and she's very attracted to you, she doesn't want to feel like a slut. She doesn't want to feel inappropriate. She doesn't want her friends to find out this is too soon. If this was the third date or fourth date, I could, but it's only the second I can't. That's ASD. And so that's something that men have to battle when they're in the dating phase with women. But when you're in a relationship with a woman, a non-monogamous relationship, as a woman ages, as she gets older and older, she will not, because of ASD, because ASD increases over time, she won't want to have sex with other men. Or if she does, it'll be very infrequent. So my example is my wife is a 40-year-old Christian traditional preschool teacher um, who is very, very traditional and dizzy other than her marriage. 
And I mean, do you think a woman like that really wants to get on Tinder and look for dudes or go out to bars? No, she thinks that's super inappropriate. Now I'm a guy, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a barbarian, so I'm different. I'm in a different category because I'm a man, but women aren't like that. And so if you want to settle down long-term, have a long-term serious relationship with a woman, the issue is how old she is. Now, guys will say, but what about young girls? Young, young, attractive women will have sex with other men. Correct. If your girlfriend is a really good looking 21 year old girl, yes, she's going to have sex with other men. Now I got news for you. She'll do it anyway. She'll do it in a monogamous relationship. I've seen it over and over again. Women under the age of 23, especially if they're pretty, are virtually incapable of long-term sexual monogamy. They just cheat. But my point is, do you want to marry a woman who's 21 years old? Do you want to marry a 19-year-old girl? I wouldn't, and I've been offered in my life. I've been offered by women that young to marry me. And I said, no, why would you want to do that? Because you want, if you want something long-term, you would never marry a 19-year-old or a 22-year-old because she's not even, her brain isn't fully formed yet. When she hits 25, she'll be a different woman and she'll divorce you. And she'll certainly cheat on you if you want it monogamous. So the women who are most likely to sleep with other men are not the women you would want to settle down with long-term in a long-term girlfriend-boyfriend relationship or a marriage. It's kind of almost a self-correcting system. And if you say to me, well, I want to marry someone who is 29 and she might, okay, she might. She might when she's 29. Is she going to go crazy? Probably not. Would you? Here's the next question. Would you marry a woman who is highly promiscuous? and constantly out of bars hooking up with dudes. Would you marry a woman like that? I wouldn't marry a woman like that. I would hook up with a woman like that. Wear a good condom, please. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't marry a woman like that. So what's the problem? I don't see what the issue is. As she gets older, she will do it less and less and less. So it almost sort of, in a way, fixes itself. And that's the first aspect. The second aspect's much easier. If you don't wanna do this because you fear your wife or your girlfriend might do this, and I say might because, I've tracked this on spreadsheets. In 50% of the dating relationships that I've had, the women didn't have sex with any other men. 50% they did, 50% they did not. In the casual ones, 90% did. But in the dating ones, only 50% did. In the serious ones, it's even less than that. Um, anyway, where I was going with this is, if you don't want to do this, then what is your plan? And sometimes guys will come onto my websites, I would never do that. I would never do that. If she ever touched on a guy, I'd kill her. I, I just... I would go crazy. Okay, please tell me your long-term plan over the next 25 years of how you're going to fix that problem. And I never get an answer. They either run away or they give me some kind of male Disney BS about I'm just going to I'm just going to marry someone and cross my fingers and hope that it'll work, which is exactly what doesn't work. That's why we have a 76% divorce rate. Hmm. So you've got to realize that just what I said earlier. You've got to unless you unless you never want to get married, never want to be with a woman. That's different. We could have that discussion if you want. If you want to be celibate or just have sex with hookers, I guess. But if you, if, assuming you want to be with someone, you've got a choice that you know for a fact doesn't work. Because I don't get people in my blogs anymore who say, no, long-term monogamy works great. You just got to find the right girl. I don't get people saying like that, saying that anymore, because people know monogamy is so bad and the divorce rates are so high and the breakup rates for girlfriend-boyfriend relationships are so high and so many people cheat. They kind of understand this. But they defend it anyways by saying, I wouldn't do the other option. You only have two options. It's monogamy or not. So if you're not going to do that, explain to me how you're going to make monogamy work. And if you say, uh, I don't know, well, then that's a signal to you that maybe you should take this system that you're a little uncomfortable with and exchange temporary, temporary emotional discomfort, temporary, you won't be jealous forever, temporary possible emotional discomfort and trade that in for a lifetime of long-term happiness. That is not possible, in my opinion, and the statistics agree with me, with long-term sexual monogamy, if that all makes sense. I, I covered a lot there. But. Yeah, no, it, it, it does. And I, I want to make the best use of the, the time we have, we have left. But another reason I want to talk to you about this is I think a lot of what you say about men and marriage and your responsibility in an open marriage as a man and the way you need to treat your wife and all the rest, I mean, and just the way you need to show up in the marriage, I think it's relevant no matter what kind of relationship model you're following, whether you're monogamous or uh, polygamous, polyamorous, open, whatever. I, I really like this idea of, you know, because as you know, so many guys get married. And <laughs> I won't mention names, but I have friends doing it currently, uh, buddies of mine, where it's like they just completely let, let themselves go within a year or two. You know, they stop showing up. They stop dating their wife. They stop courting their wife. They put on 20 pounds. And it, it's painful to watch. And, and I'm not married. I've never been married. So I'm far from an expert on marriage. But 
I think if slash when I make that choice someday, I think it's crucial to keep courting my wife and dating her and seducing her. Like, could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, I, what you just said was me in my first marriage when I was a young man and didn't understand these concepts. I gained, as soon as we got married, I gained something like 40 pounds. I stopped dating. It was, it was a mess. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's most men I know too. I, it's, that's the norm. Um, I have an entire section in the book, the open marriage book, um, not chapters, section, many chapters on how critically important it is to maintain a high degree of attraction from your wife. Matter of fact, I just posted a YouTube video about this. You have to maintain a high level of attraction, attraction meaning how attracted your wife is to you, not just physically, but romantically, intellectually, emotionally, all that stuff. You have to maintain that at a high level if you want a long-term harmonious relationship. If you start letting that drop, which is the norm, which is what men do, of course, you're going to start having drama. Of course, you're just going to start having a more pissed off wife. Of course, your odds of divorce go up. I mean, and certainly if you are non-monogamous, that's even more important. You're right. It's, it's important no matter what arrangement you have with your wife. You're correct. It's important no matter what. But if you're non-monogamous, you're asking a little more of her than the traditional monogamous wife. So it's even more important to do this. You'll get even less. And the more attracted she is to you, which is directly within your control, courting her on a regular basis, doing nice things for her, doing romantic things. And then I have whole systems for this stuff. Um, you don't want to be romantic every day. That's beta. And that'll actually drop attraction, but you don't want to never be romantic. That will also draw attraction because she feels like she's, you're not important to her life. So anyway, um, not letting yourself go physically. I am, I am skinnier now. I'm not skinny. I am less fat now than when we got married. I've actually lost weight. My muscle mass has gone up and my weight has gone down since I got married. I want to increase that. Um, all those things you have to always make sure that you have, a, you are doing the things on a regular basis and you don't have to do them every day. It's not like, cause sometimes you say this and guys go, I don't want to kiss my wife's ass every day. You think I kiss my wife's ass every day? No, I'm too busy. No, but on a weekly basis, there are things I do to make sure that I maintain a high degree of attraction and romance with my wife. Absolutely. It's critical. You can't let that go. And frankly, if when I describe something like that, or when someone else describes something like that, you're like, I would never do that. Then please don't get married. Stay single or get a girlfriend you don't live with. That's fine. Marriage is not for everybody. Fine. If you don't want to take that trouble, don't do it. Right. Absolutely. Just what, one more point I wanted to mention about the whole monogamy versus open marriages thing. I mean, at least people in open marriages are honest about it. Because when people call themselves monogamous or when they put themselves in that category, I mean, cheating is absolutely rife. It's, it's, it's hypocritical. Give me someone honest in an open relationship over someone cheating in a monogamous monogamous relationship you know give me that any day so i, I respect you for for taking that risk yeah. and for being so open about this stuff yeah i i, I agree 100 percent. and and um my deal is well we could get in a big thing about cheating cheating Next is time. not long-term happiness cheating is 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 transitory happiness that will not make you happy long term short term sure Short term, absolutely. It'll make you very happy. I've seen guys go through this. The first time they cheat, oh, this is so great. Yeah, that's, that's, that was yesterday. That was this week. We're talking about the next 35 years of your life. Is that going to work? No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Caleb, what's the best way people can connect with you online? The best way is calebjones.com. That's, that's kind of the central place for all my blogs and social media and podcasts and videos and books and courses. C-A-L-E-B as in boy, jones.com. That's probably the best place. Great. Well, Caleb, again, thank you so much for making time for me today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. No problem. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.